0: Hello there and welcome to today's episode of The Enthusiasts and Co. I'm so grateful that you could join for this episode, so thank you very much. But I'm going to let you into a secret, pals. It's not just me and thee today. No, no, I'm joined by the wonderful Zena Birch. If champagne bottles could be personified, that would be Zena. She is truly one of a kind and I mean that as a compliment, which you will see in the duration of this episode. Zena is a humanist celebrant, which means she leads ceremonies for, you know, kind of big occasions, whether that's a naming or a funeral or a wedding which is how I first met her and I hope you love this chat as much as I did I learn something every time I have the pleasure of speaking to Xena and everything she said was so thought-provoking and poignant and just really really set my heart alight so yeah I hope you enjoy this episode well hello Xena Birch hello there Ellie oh my god hello how the hell are you (laughs) Um, That is a very enormous
1: question That once upon a time used to be a nice Easy to shrug off question And you probably don't want me to answer it
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so true Like back in the day it was like I'm fine thanks And now it's like well actually here is my entire life story Because time is a continuum And it's three minutes and seven years Since I last spoke to you all at once
1: Precisely, it's like well you know last Tuesday Oh no it wasn't last Tuesday I saw you It was last Tuesday three and a half years ago
0: (laughs) (laughs) And everything and nothing has changed. Well, Um, I am very, very glad to be speaking to you today. I'm so, so grateful to have a slice of your time. So thank you so much in advance for coming on and having this conversation with me. I'm very excited. My pleasure. You are a woman who lives and breathes living her values, I know. So your answers mm. all kind of are relevant to what you do. So I know we're going to like explain much more about your your brilliant work and life in the episode itself. But could you just start off by giving people a bit of an intro to who you are and what you do? Yes,
1: well, that's very lovely of you to say. Who am I? The big existential question. I'll try and bring it to something
0: much more bite-sized. If you thought how are you is enormous, how's about the question, who are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks for prodding these things on a Friday afternoon. Uh, I Okay, so where should we start? We'll start with my name. I'm Zina Birch and, and I... I'm a woman, I believe. I am also in my working life, a celebrant uh, with Humanist UK. And if anyone doesn't know what a celebrant is, it's someone who helps annotate rites of passage in life. So weddings, namings, funerals. And that has been a job that I've done for over a decade now. It's one that I fell into by accident. But I do believe that in life, everything is sort of a process of falling into things and either running with it or working out how to get back up and turn in the other direction. I am very lucky and privileged in what I do because um, I think as you just touched on, it, it, it feels more like how I get to live, not just what I get to do. And it really is just an extension on being able to communicate and explore and learn and be with other people, I guess which might be why this past year, not to bring up COVID so immediately, but this past year (laughs) and all the extraordinary things that have happened within it have been such an interesting thing to navigate because so much of my life and my job is integrated that when you are essentially government-mandated to stop doing your job, it then makes you suddenly look at what you do on a day-to-day basis. And that human connectivity, which is the thing that has always driven me, has had to become more and more inventive as the days have gone by. So I'm fairly certain I've already not explained who I am or what I am, <laughs> um, but, but <laughs> I'm hoping that gives you some form of vague introduction.
0: Absolutely. And I I mean, I have tried to explain celebrancy to other people and I do find it very hard to explain what it is because and this sounds so like wishy-washy and vague but it it's so many things at once isn't it so it's very hard yeah. to just kind of like pinpoint a role it plays that people will be able to kind of like latch onto but it's very interesting that you fell into it by accident because i don't know if anyone else is already you know 3 minutes in as in love with you as I am but I was literally saying to my partner earlier when I was saying that I had this interview today I was like I wouldn't actually care if I was in the Truman show as long as Zena was narrating like I could listen to your voice <laughs> do anything and I would I would pay a million pounds to do whatever oh, you were selling that's the nicest thing <laughs> you can have that on your show real I'll um, I'll give that as a as an official review
1: <laughs> well I really ought to work out how to monetize that yes you should I will take it, and I'm, I'm not even questioning it. Um, well, first off, if if I, if I was narrating the Truman Show and thus had any kind of influence in it, Ellie, I would do my best to make sure it was full of magnificence. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, if I could try and monetize part of what you've just said about being able to sell anything, then I would probably be in less of a predicament than I found myself in <laughs> the past 280 days. But thank you nonetheless. It's funny because, um, yeah, being a celebrant, sometimes I get this sort of flash of inspiration where I think, yeah, it's just like that. And then sometimes that will then be followed with, wow, that was a grandiose thought. Don't be so stupid. Or, 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 Or I'll think that's delusions of grandeur. But there are certain times when I've, The the insight and the um, trust, I suppose, that you you get to have in other people's lives within it feels, I suppose, a bit like if you could write a very nice version of an old fashioned village vicar or something, but minus God. Because sometimes it is about being able to just um, sort of people come to you at certain points in their life that aren't dissimilar to the times they would go to once upon a time, a local village vicar. I've always thought it's quite a shame that I can't work out how to get a vicarage and have coffee mornings because I'd love that. But it's it is there is an element of, of sort of notating those moments through life. And actually, if you look back through culture, there are people who exist in this very role all of the time. They've been shamans. They've been vicars. They've been A and other versions of whichever religion you believe in. They've just been the wise, wizened old man or woman in the cottage at the end of the village. You know, they've been there to help people navigate their way through certain parts of their life. And being a celebrant is a bit, a bit like that, only perhaps a little less tethered.
0: <laughs> tethered. I love that. I think that's so true as well. And I think humanism is not that this is a podcast about humanism, but I love the, the untetheredness mm. in some ways that is also like you're untethered to a certain system, but also tethered to each other and to mm. kind of something, something greater that's not something greater, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> It makes all the sense and none of the sense, yes. Marvellous. (laughs) And thus the theme for today's podcast. So um, (laughs) without further ado, now that we've half explained, half not explained, half kept them guessing about what you do, I'm going to ask you, Zena Birch, what are you enthusiastic about at work? So your answers to my prep, hard to believe that prep goes into this podcast, I know, but it does. And you gave the most wonderful answer, which was ritual and tradition, how tradition reshapes and invents itself, the power of communing and memory making. Let's dissect all of that because I love it all.
1: Gosh, yes.
0: Okay. And thank you so much for
1: reminding me. <laughs> it's funny because I think um, I said this to you at the time, and I thought it again today when I was going back over our notes that the answer to that question, in fact, the answer to all of the questions that you pose in this brilliant podcast for me, can probably change hourly, let alone daily. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone who, in, in my job, I often ask people to not worry about having a variation of feeling like if I'm asking you a top five, it doesn't, it's not set in stone, but to just for a moment be still with yourself and try and let what in that moment the most important things are to you to sort of rise to the top and jot them down. And don't self-edit, just let them be. And that's, that's very much what I did with this. And it's funny because when I when I first started doing my funeral training, actually, one of the exercises that you're asked to do is to sort of plot your own funeral. And to do so, you have to choose your own music and you have to think of readings. And I mean, I couldn't do that homework for days upon days upon days upon days because I was just like, well, no, 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 hang on. No, it's that. No, it's that. It's that. It's that. It's that. It's that. Constantly changing my mind until I remembered that it only ever matters in the moment. And so answer in the moment. So... Yes, all of those things absolutely stand. And I think ritual in particular, that sense of what it is and why it is and why it exists and why human beings need it, is of eternal fascination to me and brings me joy to constantly try and find out an ever-changing answer to it.
0: Yes, because I think without, it's, I think a lot of people... You know, will associate really ritual with kind of religious ritual, which obviously it, it religious ritual mm-hmm. is very important to people who are of faith. But ritual, I think, as well, is overlooked in in the sense when it's it's non-religious. And I think something that like a ritual that I have subscribed to this year, which is not a communal ritual, but I've really taken joy and taken time out in making tea, which sounds very fancy, and it mm-hmm. sounds like I've got like a really nice pot and like I stew the tea leaves, and I don't because I'm a PG Tips kind of girl. But just taking the two <laughs> minutes out to like sit. It, not sit with the kettle that would be very odd to like stand next to the kettle <laughs> as it boils and to just wait and take that time to like really you know make sure the milk and the tea bag and everything's stewed and everything and that to me has become like the closest mm. thing to a ritual that I've ever had and it's just really fascinating what yeah what ritual can can bring I think
1: Mm. Well, you're finding in that an element of structure and a moment to take pause, mm. and possibly even dare I say it, a moment to make meaning of that sort of little tiny moment in the day. Especially at the moment, whilst a lot of the time people are sort of flailing for purpose, it can sometimes come down to the very, very ordinary that you can make elevate it, or just to to appreciate perhaps. There's so many different ways that people come to their experience of ritual for the first time. I think sometimes a lot of people are terribly put off it because they might think it's got very lofty high ideals or or be sort of something that they have no relationship with. It can sometimes be, as you mentioned, something that we might think only belongs to the, the religious canon. Or it might even be that it's just something that you associate with really horrible horror movies where nasty ritualistic things take place. But I think when you kind of break it down to its barest form, for me, it's about being able to take well, to kind of annotate a moment in time to being something slightly different than the ordinary. And I think in doing so, when you create a ritual, what we're also trying to do is trying to make sense of something. Maybe we're finding some meaning or some intention. We're perhaps being able to commune with other people in the midst of it. It might be that it's going to offer us some form of solace or some form of understanding. And that's often why it so often associates itself with various different rites of passage in people's lives. But it can be, as you just say, as simple as a little daily ritual. And it can be as enormous as a one in, once-in-a-lifetime ritual, like a, a funeral or, or, a, or perhaps a wedding, although that doesn't have to be once-in-a-lifetime. I personally first found ritual in the most extraordinary way, because when I was a kid, I had this best friend, she was called Becky Skilton, and her family were really, like, they were the fun family, the sort of parents you just looked at, like, maybe they would turn up and the music would be that little bit louder (laughs) than anybody else's parents, and so you thought, oh man, they're really cool, but they really did go one step beyond being cool because they had something called bonkers days, and I'm sure if Becky's listening to this, she'll probably completely correct what my remembrance of it is because i might have elevated this beyond all reality but bonkers days they lived at the end of a long drive and they would put a balloon up at the end of the drive on bonkers day which meant that you weren't allowed to go down and knock on for them and What they did on a bonkers day was they just turned everything upside down. So instead of having dinner at the table, they ate dinner under the table. Instead of watching television in the lounge, they would watch it in a different room. Everything that they would usually do normally, they did completely differently or the opposite of. And to me, it sounded like the most incredible day ever. And looking back on it, what they were really doing was just like making a day extra special For their kids, you know, just just turning things on its head. And in fact, actually, I would love to speak to my parents and ask if they had, like, any greater philosophical reasoning for doing this um, or whether it was just a bit of fun. But for me, I had only ever witnessed ritual in, like, the little Sunday school that I went to, you know... um, carrying an orange at time of the year where you got to carry an orange with a candle in it <laughs> you can tell I'm not I've never been massively re- religious i'm sure that's got a lot of importance to it harvest festival things like that i knew them rituals as things like that but they very much existed externally from me or something i was i was allowed to participate in through something else but to see that a family had their own little ritual that they that they embraced just absolutely blew my mind and I mean, I was probably only seven, eight, nine at that stage. So, yeah, just that would have, I think, looking back, that that alerted me to the fact that there are all of these different interpretations of ritual and they don't just exist in history, they don't just exist in books and they certainly don't just exist within religion. I don't know if you got to see Grace and Perry's incredible
0: series on Channel 4, which was, I think it was called Rites of Passage. No, I didn't, but I desperately wanted to. Oh.
1: Channel 4 say that they have the greatest free archive available to us all so go in and see if you can find Grayson Perry's Rites of Passage I think there's four episodes and he focuses I think the first one is on um, birth the next one is on death there's one on love and marriage and relationships I think and divorce actually which is wonderful and I can't remember oh gosh like a rabbit in the headlights I suddenly can't remember what the fourth one is but (laughs) What's so brilliant about Grayson is he—he he kind of has this incredible ability to be so super well-read, so smart, so clever, and know all these great lofty things, but then bring them right down to something you and I. Sorry,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm putting you in the you and I category.
1: I, I, I can put you up in the Grayson category as
0: well. Ellie. No, no, no. You know, I, I firmly—I firmly belong in the you and I category. Don't you worry. <laughs>
1: let's put our feet on the floor but he brings it right down and shows us that ritual is something that human beings need not certain sectors of society not certain types of cultures but us human beings individuals and for me as I've been learning over the past decade of working having the privilege to work within this kind of ritual environment it is, it's learning how to make ritual valid for people, which I suppose brings us onto tradition and how you can shape shift or change traditions. But yeah, it's it's innate to human beings that we have this need to understand. I think we have a need to understand. We have a need to connect with one another. We have a need to storytell. And within that storytelling, we share empathy with one another. And I think these things cross cultures, they cross time and they are deeply fascinating. Um, to me.
0: And I love that. And I think that is just one of those things where you, you wouldn't necessarily have, you know, over a decade ago sat there and thought, God, I love the meaning in the little things. I love rituals (laughs) and traditions. I wonder what I can do to bring that into my everyday as a job. But I think celebrancy is such a, a brilliant way of like really getting into those things and being able to help people, you know, not creating the rituals for people necessarily, but but bringing people's awareness to that fact so that they can pinpoint them themselves and celebrate them themselves. And, you know, as you say, watch them reshape them and invent them again. And, oh, it gives me, gives me shivers. (laughs) It's good to get the
1: shivers. With tradition, it's fascinating because I I often say if we take weddings, because I think that's probably one of the most easily recognisable ceremonies for people to think well this happens this happens and this happens and a lot of the time people don't Mm -hmm. question why those things are and I often say to people it's because a tradition often exists because on some level it connects with us it means something to us but tradition traditionally does alter with time because if you keep at the front and center why you are focusing on that tradition in the first place you need to ask yourself what its meaning is so I think the easiest one to explain in terms of how things are changing is to be walked down the aisle. It used to be that you, uh, well, a woman belonged to a man and was being handed over to the next man she was about to belong to. Lucky her. Now, that as a tradition still exists, but it doesn't exist, thankfully, in most parts of the world now with that kind of archaic patriarchal intent. But we haven't scrapped the tradition. And the reason we haven't scrapped the tradition is because at the heart of it, there is something important. There's a kernel in there that connects people to the reason why they stick with it. And it's often to do with wanting the support or wanting the affirmation of the person you're walking down the aisle with. As soon as you blow that tradition, you know, you look at that tradition and realise it doesn't just have to be your dad. Then there's so many people who think, well, why on earth wouldn't I walk down with both of my parents? Or why wouldn't I walk down with my sibling or why wouldn't I walk down by myself you know and and as soon as you find the reason for why you would be doing whichever version of that makes sense to you it becomes your tradition so it has its history in the tradition that came before it but it's become relevant to you If you think about intention, and I guess this is where I get really annoying because I'm I'm constantly asking people about to think about the intention of things. I think it's so important in our lives that we do try and live with intention and not in an exhausting way, not in a way that means that we get constantly trapped in feeling like we've got to overthink everything. Quite the contrary, like overthinking is, is definitely one of the greatest stealers of joy that we know. But to actually just understand what your intent in something is. I think is is a really good way of, of making sure that we don't sleepwalk our way through traditions unnecessarily
0: so many things to discuss (laughs) okay Okay. first off I'm trying to like remember trying to hold them in that tiny little space where I've not got any brain cells (laughs) I'm just trying to like hold it um tradition changing is so fascinating because as you say we think of traditions as you know having been there since the dawn of time and being unchanged and unchangeable as Mm. well but you're so right in that they do you know have flexed over time and will continue to flex over the time coming which i think is just i've never despite working in the same field as you with the same traditions (laughs) as you i've been like never thought about that before (laughs) um that's point one what was point c i told you i can only hold one thing in my tiny brain space what was the other thing oh living intentionally that was it Uh, if i just keep talking sometimes it just comes out you'll notice that (laughs) I think that sweet spot between finding the meaning but not overthinking, I think is something I really want to find this year because I really love the idea of living with intention and doing things with intention. But as you say, that often goes hand in hand with overthinking and questioning and not allowing anything to just be forcing things out, you know, trying to find um, deeper meaning where it's maybe isn't, which is okay too. So I think that sweet spot is a really, really important point to get to because it's where things really grow and just kind of like fit together
1: i think the key there is to find intention without judgment we're so inclined and i'm not entirely sure why maybe i'm going to look into this a bit more but we're very inclined to judge ourselves and our thoughts and our actions and actually sometimes just finding the intent but without judgment attached to it is i think where the freedom and that sweet spot exists
0: yes Definitely. Oh, when you just become my spiritual guidance counselor person thing. Well, earlier on, <laughs> I remember, see it in your future.
1: Remember that I told you that I was trying to reason with flies earlier. So you perhaps don't necessarily want me to be your guide. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it, tell me how it goes with the flies. If you can convince them, you can convince me. That's I think this is your test, Zina Birch.
1: <laughs> the flies is is, is, is an awful um, segue, which I don't know how... how I, I certainly don't know if you want it in your podcast, and I don't know whether or not it would reflect well or badly on me. But a couple of days ago, I, I so I had to move house fairly recently, um, good old 2020 circumstances, and where I've moved to is my my best friend's house because she works away at the moment. And I noticed... Some flies, and not just like regular little flies, like big black flies, the kind of size of my thumbnail. And I noticed one, and I thought cheeky. Um, and then I noticed two, and I thought rude. And then I noticed five, and I was kind of horrified. And I realised that this was going to be something. This was quite late at night, so I was going to bed, and and, and I thought. It was really awful because often I have a physical manifestation of my inner turmoil sometimes. And I felt like these flies had suddenly arrived because my brain was, um, was mulling over too many unpleasant thoughts. Anyway, the next morning I woke up and sure enough, to my horror, there were about 17 flies, Ellie, in, in, in this one particular part of the house. But there was no, no accompanying smell. So I knew that nothing had died and there was nothing rotten. So it's like, where on earth did these flies come from? Anyway. Long story short, as it turned out, I discovered about 40 flies. Oh and I was working out that I was going to have to clearly do something about that. And I bumped into my next door neighbour when I was walking my dog. She told me to just get some fly spray and that sticky fly tape and, you know, go go on a mission. And I tried to carry on walking like her, my dog, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't. All I was thinking about is if, if they've already multiplied from 17 to 40, like when I get back, there'll be 80. I can't have it. Um so I went straight to the garden center and I bought fly spray and I bought that trapping sticky tape stuff and I felt horrific about it because although I'm not a vegetarian there is just something about killing flies or any kind of insects that it, where it's I'm just getting rid of them because of the inconvenience not for anything else like it just doesn't mm. sit very well with me and then like a flash of madness by the till, there was this rack of gadgets left over from Christmas. So you know those things that, you know, you're trying to buy something and, and you know you want to get one more present for someone, but you don't know really what it is. And weirdly, the garden centers the place to find it. And they had a <laughs> bunch of um, sale items, one of which... Ellie, was the world's smallest vacuum cleaner. Oh, my God. And it's this tiny little handheld dirt buster that I swear to God, if I put my hand in front of it, it disappears, like it's that tiny. So as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, well, I mean, that's going to have the suction power of, you know, a a moth It's going to be pathetic. And on top of that, it's like you have to USB plug it in. It's just going to be useless, but I'm going to get it because maybe, just maybe... It'll help me get rid of the flies without killing them. So I get back and I plug in this tiny little dirt hoover thing and it's got the most extraordinary suction. It is the most genius little gadget I've ever seen in my life. And I go after the first fly and sure enough, it sucks up the first fly and then it sucks up the second. And then I go to the back door and I open the back door and I set them free. I think I might even have said, fly, my pretties, <laughs> like from <laughs> Wizard of Oz. And, um, and then I came back in and, and, and yeah, basically, it certainly wasn't the most time saving way of doing it. But after I'd collected together about 48 flies and individually set them free. Well, actually, no, I think I managed to get seven in the little dirt buster. Before it got full up, it was absolutely horrifying. It was like something from the birds, but the flies. And um, and it was not a pleasant task. But I cannot tell you how happy I felt that I had overcome this horrible problem without actually being the fly mass murderer and um and it and it brought me all sorts of joy but this morning i woke up and there weren't lots of flies there were perhaps five or six stragglers that i hadn't got yesterday and this is where the reasoning with the flies came i went and spoke to them because they were out of reach i couldn't reach them with the hoovery thing and i just explained to them that their colleagues or friends or family members were outside <laughs> seeing the real world and there was so much more adventure out there what on earth did they want to be stuck in my bathroom for and uh, yeah they didn't come any closer so my conclusion is you cannot reason with flies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, little I, ad- um. I adore that. I adore every single thing about that. And you said you didn't know whether that reflected well or badly on you, and I think it reflected marvelously. I that think, is my official judgment. I
1: think it comes close to being absolutely mental, but yes, I will take. I will take it reflecting well. I will thank you. I, I definitely made me. Feel better. <laughs> I do still think that the couple of flies who are left in here are fools. Like, they're genuine fools. They don't know what they're missing.
0: Well, that, I mean, that is true. And you've, you've, you can only do, you can only tell them, you can only try, can't can you? You've done try. all you can. That's this is, look, they're grown ups now. They, <laughs> they know what they're doing.
1: I have to give them fly autonomy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean it's also an excellent segue into the next question um what are you enthusiastic about in play so for people who maybe have not heard the podcast before play is my very hackneyed way of kind of saying extracurricular um <laughs> as a you know 10 decade long hang-up about not having any hobbies which I'm still very bitter about as a as a youth I don't like the term hobby so the question is what do you do in play and you have said it will come as no surprise uh, as the anti-fly mass murderer create <laughs> creating a sense of occasion, which I absolutely love. So Mm. let's talk about that. that. What does that mean to you and why do you love it so much?
1: Oh, I guess it's to do with reveling in being alive, Ellie. I've never really subscribed very well to the idea that you should only wear your best clothes on a Sunday or you should save, you know, that bottle of something special for an occasion when it's deemed worthy. Because I think, again, it's to do with that, judgment thing like why should we judge what is more worthy than another and sometimes we need a sense of occasion out of the blue sometimes we need a sense of occasion to pull us out of the doldrums sometimes we need a sense of occasion just for the damn hell of it and (laughs) um and I think that to, to be able to revel in that is is brilliant it might be the antithesis of that kind of sense of modesty or measuredness that Englishness I guess can sometimes promote and maybe it is that sort of slight sense of rebellion that appeals to me. But it's actually just, again, being able to kind of, you know, rub your eyes in a cartoon fashion, like, and then look again. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think creating that sense of occasion is important. It's important for me to, like, for example, I went and put some perfume on before we did this podcast. Why? You can't smell me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Only I can. But it was like, let's prepare for something that's about to be different. Let's prepare for something that's about to be hopefully a bit brilliant. Like it's I'm excited about speaking to you. Let's make that an occasion. It's like you're making of a cup of tea. Like it's these simple little things that bring us pleasure. I've always been a very sort of sensory hungry human And I don't subscribe to the idea that pleasure is bad for us. I think it is absolutely magnificent for us. And the more of it, the better. So if I want to wear a sparkly sequiny dress on my dog walk in the field on a Wednesday, I will. Because why not?
0: By that description, there are going to be people, if anybody who's listening to this lives near you, they're going to be like, (laughs) oh, it is Xena I'm listening to. Yeah, okay. I just just wanted to clarify. (laughs) Okay, Ellie, when I first
1: moved to where I'm living at the moment, I'd maybe only been here for about 10 or 11 days. And I bumped into a couple on the lane and they didn't address this to me, Ellie. They addressed this to my dog. They said to my dog as they're opening Gambit, I bet you've got some stories to
0: tell. (laughs) There are so many layers to that. And I would like to unpick every single layer of that with that couple. What what an amazingly weird way to start.
1: It was. It was really weird until I realised that I was wearing this sort of fake fur, pink and black Cruella de Vil kind of Coat that looks like I've basically killed a couple of muppets. I had a turbany kind of scarf on because my hair had been really bad and I didn't know what to do. So I just grabbed a scarf. It wouldn't stay in my hair properly. So I wrapped it around four or five times and tucked it in. And uh, there was something else that I had with me. I had like an object or something with me that definitely was a bit weird, but made a lot of sense to me at the time. So I did think that maybe they were just justifying what was in front of them. <laughs>
0: I like that they thought out of the real human and the dog. And I mean, no offense to like as an exceptionally intelligent being. I like they thought we're going to get more reason and rationality out of the dog that can't speak. That's what they thought when they looked at you.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. It did make me feel like I needed to, I don't know, be more. I don't know. I don't know what it made me feel. But I was i was like, on the one hand, quietly proud of the oddness of it. And on the other, deeply upset at just how mystifying I found it. <laughs>
0: I mean, I think it definitely earns you some kind of badge of honor, which is sequined, of course. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but
1: yes, the sense of occasion isn't isn't it isn't as flippant as like wearing something sparkly or popping a cork on something delicious. Like it, it is actually just really savoring what we get in life—the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like if we can't take a moment to really savor the things in front of us then we kind of whistle-stop our way through life. And it's gone in a heartbeat. And I think, you know, sense of occasions that allow us to just pause or take a moment or elevate them or be more present. And and I think on a serious note, that's probably what it is.
0: Definitely. My question for you, Zina, is how smug are you? Because I think a lot of people... have maybe kind of come to this realisation, maybe not in so many words, but have come to this realisation during lockdown in that actually, you know, there is lots of meaning in the small moments and we should be celebrating the little things. And, you know, we've all become even more aware of the shortness of life sometimes and how we can't waste it. And I think we've all become so aware of that in the past, you know. 280 days or whatever you said earlier. How smug do you feel that you've dedicated your life to this for a decade before it was cool? <laughs> Not smug at all, bless your lovely soul. <laughs> Just checking, because I, I think I think in like June I'd have been like, yeah guys, I have been trying to tell you this for years so uh, whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well actually, this is very interesting. Quickly, I'm only smug at the moment about that hoover, because I'm genuinely pleased that I worked out a, an alternative way of getting rid of flies that didn't involve killing them. I think the smugness evaporated almost as quickly as I may have had a a a lightning strike of thought about it when I realized that this year tripped me up the same way as it did everybody the very very beginning of lockdown back in March last year there was a moment of me that thought oh gosh I've been preparing for this all my life I'm totally capable (laughs) of living alone I love my own time I'm absolutely fine at this brilliant bring it on and you know hubris bam I hit the ground nose first and came up bloody. It was, um, no, it's hard. It's been really hard trying to put into practice some of the things that I thought, no, I don't know if I ever thought I had them cracked. I kind of don't think, Ellie, at any stage, ever think I've I, I have the answer to anything. And I guess my favourite forgiveness in that is knowing that it's okay not to have the answer to anything and to just carry on searching for the best answer you can at any given time but the past year I think has really shown us all that no matter how comfortable confident safe sorted grounded an of the million other things it could have been we're always capable of being knocked for six by the universe or the multiverse or just the world and so yeah no no smugness exists there I'm afraid Except for, yeah, little mini (laughs) Hoovers.
0: I was going to say, you did say that you hadn't cracked anything apart from, (laughs) lest we not forget, um, how to successfully avoid murdering 50 flies who were happening to live in the same house as you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, finally, Zena we're going to get onto the last question of the podcast, which is, what are you enthusiastic about in life? And so, this, for most guests, is kind of like more overarching, kind of like wider values. But as I said at the top of this podcast, like you just you are the embodiment of living your life every day in the micro by your your, your by your values. So, what you said was being alive and getting older, exploration, and finding joy in everything, including the devastating, which I think is so beautiful so let's let's dive in oh gosh okay it's really
1: interesting hearing your own words read back to you it's quite it's quite nice it's it's sobering it's grounding it's horrifying it's everything all at once brilliant okay um I bet I put a couple of exclamation marks in there as well I bet I wrote being alive (laughs) exclamation mark yes do you know I I do I I just love I love being alive and I think Without that sounding trite or stupid or obvious, I think maybe it's got a very serious reasoning, and definitely without taking a turn for the sad i my brother died when I was eleven years old, and he died by an accident. he was only eight and um and i I point out that it was by accident because there is a difference to how you first hit your full awareness of mortality, and I think when someone is old or when someone is sick. There is still quite a logical explanation for it. But when someone dies, when their life is one minute there and the next minute gone, and you realise for the first time how irreversible being alive is, it changes you somewhat. And again, there's something interesting in the age at which something like that happens to you. I have a really good friend who lost their sibling at an age where they were able to drink. (laughs) And so, you know, they turned to drink quite quickly. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to try and escape or mollify some of the agonising pain or the existential angst or just the honest-to-goodness sadness that comes with something like that? And when you're 11 and you're still exploring the world and trying to make sense of the world and you haven't really got that many crutches to rely upon yet... I've thought, and please be aware that I didn't think this when I was 11. <laughs> this is something that I've come to reflect on as, I, as I've grown older. I think it's it was a real transformational thing. Obviously, I've spoken to my mum, and my mum said that I was fairly zesty with regards to being alive before that happened, so I can't put it all down to that. But I became aware, probably... I, I actually I have no idea of the timeline so it could be anywhere from three months to two years after my brother died um, I'd seen a school counsellor and, um, and I remember walking back through the school fields to the huts where I think I had to get back for geography and this ginormous rainbow just overarched the whole playing field down to where the huts were and I remember stopping in my tracks and just feeling privileged to be alive and I'd just come from this sort of 45 minutes with a counsellor that had just been full of sadness and crying and and confusion and not understanding the world and trying to make sense of it. And and in that weird, funny, simple little moment, it was just an awareness that I was there, I was present, even in the heart of it being so difficult, and that there was beauty just right, bang, smack in front of me. Not necessarily when I got into the geography class, it was quite stinky, but, like, in that (laughs) moment, it was very, very real to me that I had to take stock of what to be grateful for. And that's never left me when, from from the very beginning, I think, after my brother died, I created something that I called Double Eye Day, which I do on the anniversary of when he died and on his birthday, where I try and just live twice as hard as I do every other day. And someone pointed out to me the other, uh, not the other day, what quite a long time ago, that I hadn't perhaps meant to, but that had possibly spilt into every other day of the year. And and I will accept (laughs) that. I think maybe it has. I I have a very overwhelming sense of my own mortality. And once upon a time, I used to be very trapped and frightened about that. I would be absolutely terrified of the ending of life and and how, you know, every minute was actually just a minute of time running out. And, And I recall a long time ago when I first moved up to London, I used to escape sort of whenever I had a a day where I wasn't doing a bar shift and I would go to the woods out in Kent and I remember walking through the woods and thinking it's really unfair of life that it's like this incredible kind of lover like it's this incredible person who turns up in front of you and just makes you fall in love with them head over heels like you can't get enough (laughs) and 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 knowing them just even being in that process of being in love makes you feel even better about yourself and about what life is and what everyone you know is and then one day it would leave you and life would be gone and you would be dead and you would have no choice in the matter and as I realized that it dawned on me that it's utterly pointless to worry about that time slipping away. We have no control over it. And in actual fact, instead of time speeding up, it slows down if you just make sure that the day you are in is the day that counts. Because nothing else matters. And it's such a cliche. And it's so trite. But it is true. And that kind of grounding, that realization of being alive every day, even when you've got horrible things to deal with, is really quite profoundly important to me. And I think leads a lot of my decision making and a lot of my choices and a lot of my subconscious, perhaps. I had, as we all have had, horrible heartbreak. I remember one day um, when a very long term relationship of mine broke up. And in the sort of subsequent days afterwards, where it felt like I'd been in the middle of an earthquake and everything had just collapsed around me. And I, I think I just had one of the worst days of my life and, and and I was as raw and as broken as I could possibly be and I'd managed to sort of stumble through the things I'd had to do and when I finally got to bed, I lay there and I was just such a husk but also kind of like a bloodied open wound, it was awful and a tiny little voice in my head went, well, you live today and I remember <laughs> finding such comfort in that thought in spite of how bludgeoned I felt and you know I can put that down to being incredibly lucky with my brain chemistry you know maybe it's on my side but yeah it it, it is it's it's just about being aware even when some of the worst possible things are happening and, and I and I don't suggest for a minute that it's easy because it isn't you know being alive being happy being sad being capable being incompetent they're all just really difficult things to do and muster our way through but to to find a way of being grateful of just the existence of ourselves without ego just as as much as I'm as present as the brilliant enormous giant tree across the road is or the little fly that I helped escape earlier we're arbitrary and accidental and yet important and unique and that's a good thing
0: i do i know you said it was trite and a, a bit of a cliche and whilst that is i mean true about everything mm. nowadays i think to a certain extent i i also think it it's one of those things that on the surface feels very counter intuitive counterproductive mm. potentially you know i think a lot of people's first reaction when they see you know, messages about being grateful for being alive and, and whatnot might think well, it was easy for you to say that you've never had a struggle in your life whereas actually I think on the flip side a lot of the time you know those kind of messages do come from experiences like yours and as you say kind of the, the depths of, of how bad it can get they often do come from moments like that mm. as well and I think it's yeah holding space for the fragility and the you know terrible but also marvellous thing that is life Mm. isn't it that's that's the long and the short of it really which is unfair and annoying but also wonderful and also kind of the fairest it could be and just it doesn't make any sense but makes all the sense at the same time in a weird exactly. way I mean and it is it's deeply 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 unfair
1: but then like what's fair who who decides what's fair like it's it doesn't it doesn't make an awful lot of sense there's when I found humanism I was so pleased to find something that didn't need me to have concrete answers and I think an element of finding our own zen which can come so differently for different people, and rightly so, is often in a process of surrender and an understanding that you don't know the answers, but that's okay. You know, finding a sense of solace in the unknown rather than needing to find it in the, you know, the rigid or the certain. Because, you know, without turning this into a massively existential or philosophical topic it's like what is that anyway (laughs) like what is the certain does the certain even exist like you know we're only understanding what we do as humans from our mediocre five senses you know we're 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 we're, we're so incapable inside our capabilities and to surrender ourselves to that lack of control and to that lack of knowledge while still keeping a like an unquenchable thirst for learning stuff at the same time, is definitely what what brings me some some joy.
0: What a good note to end it on! I feel like we've could not possibly say anything more. <laughs> like what what else is there to say? Every podcast in the world just needs to shut down now because we've covered it all. <laughs> not even close. Not even close. Um, it, yeah,
1: it's like do, could that be the end or could that just be the beginning? But I think it's probably the end because <laughs> you don't need me to keep waffling on at you for any longer. <laughs>
0: Zena, I said it before. I'll say it again. I would pay all of my money and life savings to just have you talk at me about anything and everything all oh, the time. Oh, okay. So
1: I'll send you an invoice that just says, "If I could just have all of your everything, <laughs> you're in."
0: <laughs> Genuinely, I'd. Look, I'd find a way to pay it. It might not be legal, but I'd find a way. <laughs> yeah, okay. I wouldn't accept it, but thank you. <laughs> if people do want more of you, because how could they not? Where can they find you online? Where can they find out more about what, what you do and how they can pay you in legal ways to do stuff? Legally? Oh,
1: pay me in legal ways. What a lovely sentence that is. Um, I, um, I have a website, which is XenaBirch.com. That's Xena.com. With a Z like Zorro, not X like the warrior princess and birch like the tree. You can find me on Instagram, which is Zena Birch Weddings, plural. And only my friends can find me on my personal Facebook. But my professional Facebook is Zena Birch Bespoke Humanist Weddings. And can you not see in that that I set that page up many, 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 many moons ago without a snazzy title? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look, hindsight is a wonderful thing, Okay, (laughs) Thank you so much. This has been a joy, as it always is, to speak to you. Thank you so, so much.
1: It's been an enormous privilege for me. Just anyone who wants to, like, talk to me at this stage beyond my dog, (laughs) the flies, and the neighbour who would rather talk to my dog than me (laughs) is a real privilege. So thank you
0: and there we have it another episode of the enthusiasm co podcast done and dusted thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it if you did enjoy the chat and you think that others might do too you might know what i'm about to say if you could spare a minute or two of your time please do head to the apple Podcasts app and leave a rating and a review for the enthusiasm co it means the world because it lets apple know that i'm a podcast worth listening to and it shows me to other people so thank you so much in advance for that i read every single one and also, if you would like to follow the Enthusiast and Co. and see more updates, you can head to the Enthusiast.co and on Instagram The Enthusiast and Co. to see and hear more. Until next time.